Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. R&B singer R. Kelly was convicted of sex trafficking and racketeering earlier this year in New York, but his trial in Chicago begins today. Prosecutors will make the argument that R. Kelly and some of his associates impeded his first criminal case in 2008, where he was charged with 21 counts of child pornography. Joining us now with her thoughts is Selamisha Tillett, co-founder of A Long Walk Home and early consultant for the documentary film series Surviving R. Kelly, where many women allegedly abused by Kelly told their stories for the first time. Selamisha, what are your reactions to the start of this trial? Well, I mean, obviously it's, you know, long overdue is probably the biggest understatement of the year, Um, but it's um, important, it's significant, and it also kind of shows uh, how much progress has been made since the original trial in 2008 and the um, impact of surviving R. Kelly as well as the Me Too movement today. Yeah. How are you protecting your heart during this trial? Well, you know... um, I'm really concerned about uh, the ways in which, you know, other survivors are being triggered as well as who was once a teenage girl and now um, is a, a woman who's, who's likely to testify for the prosecution. I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, the process that she will continue to go through and how she'll feel. But in terms of my own heart, um, I don't know. I'm just worried and uh, still uh, hoping that justice will come of this. That's the outcome you're hoping for? Yes. Prosecutors haven't said who they're going to be calling on to testify. Uh, The New York Times reports Mm -hmm. that court documents reveal they have the cooperation of this young woman at the center of the 2008 trial. What do you Mm -hmm. think about that? Yes. Uh, Well, I mean, that's kind of the heart of the case in many ways, right, that they're uh, the way in which, you know, she and her mother and her family members were essentially, uh, uh, you know, bought off, so to speak, uh, so they wouldn't be able to uh, provide evidence against him in the 2008 trial. And now, um, at least according to the New York Times, there is a sense that they are both, uh, the mother and daughter are both working with the prosecution and perhaps may testify on behalf of the prosecution. So it's an interesting evolution um, of uh, survivors' testimonies, of of the way in which I think the Brooklyn case, which was really different, of course, in terms of the legal matters and and, and what he was being charged with, but the fact that there were so many survivors in that case that have come forward as well. So I do think that we have this moment in which maybe people feel more empowered to share their truth and their stories. And we also have a different moment in which I think uh, a lot more people believe that R. Kelly may be uh, responsible for this behavior. In 2008, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, particularly in Chicago, I think, uh, felt like, you know, these were just kind of false allegations. You know, the core of the case, as you mentioned, it's the safety of black girls, right, which was not Mm -hmm. prioritized. And um, the young women who did come forward who weren't believed. So what do you Mm -hmm. think needs to shift in the culture 
at large to make sure that this just stops? Well, one, I think we need to think of black girls, um, including uh, teenagers, as girls, right? So that we oftentimes, um, black girls in particular, are considered what uh, adultified, right? At the age right. of five, are given attributes or seen as older than they are, and therefore not treated with the same sense of innocence or even the same sense of protections that other children in our society are afforded. And that comes especially with in terms of sexuality. So black girls who are very vulnerable to sexual violence and sexual assault, when they come forward and say they have been, people just don't believe them because they're already seen as kind of having uh, an, an adultified or an adult-like sexuality. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they're not co- uh, capable of being sexually assaulted or, or molested as children. So that's one thing. It's just that this case is, um, or these allegations have repeatedly shown the ways in which black girls are not only vulnerable to um, long-term uh, predatory behavior from adults, but also when they do, uh, when there's evidence, um, when there's uh, consistent uh, stories of alleg- or allegations of sexual assault, people just don't believe them. And the third thing we see in this case, um, because it's not just R. Kelly on trial, but there are also two other defendants, is the way in which there are systems and individuals that support this behavior. And so mm-hmm. these aren't just random acts, but they're also held up and supported by other people as well. So overall, what, what's the conversation then that you you think we ought to be having about ending gender-based violence? Well, I think that we should be listening to, supporting, and understanding the vulnerable ways in which black girls experience their sexuality in this country. We should also be creating resources and services um, and organizations, investing in organizations that really are there to serve them and their needs. And then I also think uh, when it comes to holding institutions and individuals accountable for their behavior, um, there is no bigger case, I think, in Chicago at this point than R. Kelly's uh, trial and the ways in which um, people who worked for him and his celebrity status protected and shielded him from being held accountable for more than a decade at, at this point. So um, when we think about black girls and we think about their vulnerability, it should be at the forefront of our work as organizers and activists, but also there are our children, there are American children, there are all of our children, and they need to be protected, and they also deserve not to be assaulted. You co-founded the organization with your sister, Scheherazade. You're okay. doing a lot of work around you know, celebrating black girlhood, some of what you just mm-hmm. spoke about. Why did you both want that to be your focus? Well, it came from a really um, personal and organic space. I was sexually assaulted as a teenager myself, as a black girl myself. And so Scheherazade and I started this organization with her simple act of trying to help me heal And then um, when we began this work together, we found out that so many other teen girls were also sexually assaulted. And so that really created the urgency for us to do this work, um, and particularly in Chicago. Um, And so with that personal narrative, um, we decided to create what would it look like if we created an organization and an infrastructure that really supported black girls, not just because they're survivors, many of them are victims of gender-based violence, themselves, but also because when black girls or all girls, uh, many girls, um, when they have these experiences, they tend not to go to their teachers or their parents, but they tend to turn to each other. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to empower other girls to be resources and advocates for each other in their schools and their community. And our main program is called Girlfriends, which works with um, 
teen girls in Chicago to advocate for racial justice and gender equality. And so that's kind of where it came from, our desire as sisters to help each other. But then that grew into an organization to help all girls, um, particularly black girls in Chicago, help each other heal, thrive, and grow. And, and the bond with your, your sister, how, how does that bond, you think, help provide the blueprint for, for what you envision for other young girls to be able to experience? Yeah, well, I think, you know, when you're thinking about a feminist movement, I think sisterhood is such a pivotal part of it, being able to not only share your story with someone who's safe, but also someone who can see your humanity and your dignity and your beauty. And if we can think about that as not just two sisters, but what would that have looked like when these allegations came forward originally? What if, what would that have looked like if we saw these victims of R. Kelly who would come forward, if we'd seen them with that same dignity, that same humanity, we would have likely believed him. And the question is, in 2008, um, if there had been some sense of justice uh, then, how many girls and young women wouldn't have been harmed by R. Kelly in that period between then and now? So that's kind of how I think about the case, too. So when we think about sisterhood and we think about what Shahrazad and I hope to create and, and hope we have created, created is that sense of humanity that we see in each other um, and that sense of justice and healing and hope to create and, and have created an organization that enables other girls to, to share that with each other and advocate for justice for each other as well. You mentioned your project Girlfriends a moment ago. What are you hearing from the yeah. participants? What do they say it's like for them to be involved with this? Well, a lot of them are, I mean, as you probably know, this generation of young people mm-hmm. are brilliant activists already. We're, oh, yeah. we're learning from them as much as they're learning very from us. Very outspoken, um, right? Yeah, very outspoken, uh, very, very conscientious around race and gender and environmental justice. So I think what we're trying to do with them is really just create an infrastructure to enable them to manifest their vision of change. Um, they, they're growing up in an era of Black Lives Matter and Me Too and climate justice. And how do we create an organization in Chicago that enables them to take on those issues in their city? And so what we're learning from them is, you know, these are intersectional issues. These are not single issues that mm-hmm. are disconnected. Um, and when you're thinking about something like R. Kelly, it's not unrelated to racial justice. And when you're thinking about something like Roe v. Wade, it's not unrelated to racial justice. I'm just throwing that out as an example. Yeah. So these are the things that we're thinking about with them and we're, we're learning from them. And then we're an art-based organization. And it's important to, to think about, one, the power of art, um, the power of their voices to change the world, but also in the case of someone like R. Kelly, because he was such a celebrity, because he was such a an important artist in the city of Chicago, that also created a, a layer uh, or many layers of protection. So there's a way in which art, um, in his case, a celebrity status protected him, but then it's also um, important to note that surviving R. Kelly without that film, it, it was, it's a wonder what would have, uh, how much more he would have been able to continue to to do what he had been doing for so long. While I have you here, Salamisha, last week, Robert Boyk, who's the person in charge of implementing uh, court-mandated reforms in the Chicago Police Department, he was fired after he brought up concerns about staffing shortages and how that might impact trainings to all CPD officers, one of which is an eight-hour gender-based violence training. Does that Mm -hmm. concern you? Well, of course. I mean, 
there's a lot of concerns. One, uh, what we know is that uh, gender-based violence is oftentimes a reason why police officers are called into communities, particularly communities of color, right? So that's a, a red flag for those of us who are doing work to kind of minimize over-policing in communities. Gender-based violence is an important way, if you can mitigate some of those issues, it kind of decreases policing in your community. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is it's just, um, you know, black women in particular are just at high risk for domestic violence. And it's one of the, uh, it's one of the leading causes of black women's death in America. So if you're not dealing with domestic violence, you're not dealing with the ways in which black women are vulnerable to, uh, to, to losing their lives early. And it's a Black Lives Matter issue. So, of course, it's really uh, important. And it's, uh, it's, you know, if you don't think about um, gender-based violence, you're not really tackling gun violence. You're not, you're not really dealing with the, the core issues that are creating other forms of violence in our country, in so, our city. So how involved do you want the police to be then in cases of sexual violence and abuse? And what kind of training do you want them to have? Well, I think it's like a holistic approach. A couple of years ago, we did this really interesting program in Chicago where we brought together um, gender-based violence experts, gun violence experts, and community-based violence experts to think about what would a holistic approach look like? What would an anti-racist, gender-based violence, gun prevention violence uh, approach look like? And so I think that's that kind of model of thinking about domestic violence training and sexual assault training as something that's about empowering the community um, is really important. So I think it's, again, I mean, the, it's, these are criminal acts. I don't think that they should not, they, they're not divorced from um, the work that police officers should be doing. I just think that we need to think about how to effectively uh, create spaces for survivors to feel protected um, and also safe with both the police officers um, and also in the spaces in, where, in which they live. That was Selamisha Tillett, co-founder of A Long Walk Home. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic and mixed by Ethan Schwab. Subscribe to the podcast for more deep dives into the news, politics, the economy, and the arts. One of my favorite recent episodes was our conversation with the author of a new book exploring gun violence in Chicago. These aren't strangers in a neighborhood. We might feel like, oh my gosh, you, you could just get rid of the bad people. No, because the, the bad person is your friend's child who needs help as well. Check it out. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.